Well, the, the topic of my sermon is one of those that doesn't take much of an introduction. Again, as I mentioned earlier, as you came into this space today, this chapel, you brought with you some worries. And if we had time, like we did with our prayers of thanksgiving, if we had uh, odes to worry, you would have all kinds of things to say, wouldn't you? You could tell me about your worries of this past week. You could tell me about things that you're worried about for this next week. And even for years to come, you have stored up plenty of worry. And so these words of Jesus really are quite appropriate for us today. They intersect with our our thought lives even right now as we gather in worship. And so worrying is something we we really don't need much help with. I mean, in the sense that we know how to do it. I found a couple of uh, things this week that uh, I thought were interesting. Here's the worry chart. 40% of all things we worry about never happen, right? 30% have already happened and we can't do anything about them, so that's 70% right there. 12% needless worries about health. 10% petty miscellaneous issues. 8% are real worries. Uh, A half percent we can do a little about and the other half percent we can. It kind of puts things into perspective to see about your worries, and maybe you could pull out this worry chart from time to time. I did find this. This describes, even as we think about, as we hear the words of Jesus today, and we think about, uh, by the way, just ignore the uh, copyright issues on there. But as you think about, you get to heaven, everything should be worry-free. Well, you know, this lady, uh, did I turn the stove off? Um, How many of us would be there, I think? Well, hopefully we'd all be in heaven, but hopefully... This probably represents more of where we are right now, spiritually, doesn't it? I mean, we hear these words of Jesus as Karen read them, and we say, don't worry. Really? Jesus? Don't worry? How can I not worry? I mean, my my iceberg is getting ready to just melt to nothing. And that's it for me. We find ourselves there, and uh, this truly describes how we feel when we hear these words of Jesus. So what do we need to do about worries? We know we have them, and I thought about giving you some examples of worry, but I really don't need to do that. It would just create even more anxiety in your life. But what does Jesus want His followers to know? Jesus addressed the issue of worrying in such a profound way that His words and language, they still find themselves in our cultural references Uh, In our literature, I mean, you can think about songs and books and poems that are full of references to the lilies of the field, to the, um, the birds and the sparrows and all kinds of things that Jesus mentioned here. They find our, their ways into our lives and even ingrained into our minds. Now, that doesn't mean that we understand them any more deeply. It doesn't mean that we always practice them, but we're familiar with them. So Jesus' words here provide us with some answers, some things that we are to do that we can implement today, right into our lives, that will help us with our worries. And uh, it's critical, first of all, if we're going to get rid of our worries or deal with them, is to examine the mammon. I tried to think of some cute ways to help you remember these today. Uh, Examine the mammon. This is what Jesus said here in His sermon. Uh, to the people that are gathered around him with all of the kinds of worries that they brought this particular day. Some of them didn't have food. Some of them didn't have uh, any way of income. The next day, as they would go back to their homes, they had no idea about how they would survive or what Roman official would come and take them away to, to debtor's prison or do all kinds of things to them. So they, these are people of worry. Jesus said to them, 
No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or as other translations would say, God and mammon. What Jesus wanted the crowd of disciples to know is that they had a choice to make about their allegiances in life. One that directly related to which kingdom had their attention. And before he gets into all of the worry, he begins with this preface about kingdoms. Because this is where the worries come from. From misplaced priorities and allegiances to having too many different kinds of kingdoms and trying to keep up with way too much. He made it clear that they could not serve two masters. They could not serve God, and they could not serve mammon. Mammon, as Jesus used it here, meant wealth and property. They would understand the God of wealth as being mammon. And you see the the money bag there and the allegiance to this God. And they certainly understood this and, and the pull that was there, that was constantly there. So Jesus is talking about wealth, property. He's contrasting God with mammon. It was impossible, as Jesus said, to serve both of these. There's just no way that you could do it. Every person has to make a decision in life about God or mammon. Jesus looked into the eyes of these disciples and into the ambitions that they had that were really based on misunderstandings about kingdom. So many of them sitting there as they heard the word kingdom thought political kingdom. Jesus is going to be the guy who leads us to take over Rome and we'll get wealth, we'll get property back. We will have things the way they ought to be. And Jesus is dealing with these misunderstandings and these ambitions that are way out of place. He was asking them to examine their mammon. Who was their God? And were they trying to serve two masters at one time? A current reminder of our inability to do two things at once comes from all of the studies and, and the writing being done now on, on multitasking. Some of you would say, I'm a multitasker. But I will challenge that this morning uh, based on neuroscience. And I, I've read some of these reports before. Uh, this is a recent one that comes from uh, NPR. And it uh, quoted a neuroscientist who disagrees with the popular thinking that we can multitask. He says, people can't multitask very well. And when people say they can, they're deluding themselves said neuroscientist Earl Miller. And he said the brain is very good at diluting itself. Miller, a Pickhour professor of neuroscience at at MIT, says that for the most part, we simply can't focus on more than one thing at a time. What we can do, he said, is shift our focus from one thing to the next with astonishing speed. I mean, we're really good at that. Uh, Some of us have ADHD and can do it even twice as, as, as good as anybody else. Switching from task to task, you think you're actually paying attention to everything around you at the same time. But you're actually not, Miller said. You're not paying attention to one or two things simultaneously, but switching between them very rapidly. Miller said there are several reasons the brain has to switch among tasks. One is that similar tasks compete to use the same part of the brain. Think about writing an email and talking on the phone at the same time, which hopefully you're not doing currently. Those things are nearly impossible to do at the same time. I mean, when's the last time you tried to do it? I caught myself on the phone the other day. I was talking to someone, trying to read something on the computer and put something on the calendar at the same time. I think it was with one of you in here today. So I heard nothing that you said and got off the phone thinking, 
What was that all about? <laughs> he says you cannot focus on one while doing the other. That's because of what's called, now listen, this guy's from MIT. That's because of what's called interference between the two tasks. Now, I could have labeled it that and I didn't go to MIT. They both involve communicating via speech or the written word. And so there's a lot of conflict between the two of them. What we've heard today from Jesus is about this conflict, about our inability to multitask spiritually. Jesus says you can't do it. You've got to choose one or the other. You cannot serve both. He was keenly aware of the inability of humans to multitask, that a choice had to be made about what one was doing with her or his life. Even though we are oceans, miles, and generations apart from the place and the time Jesus was using these words, they still find their way into our lives today, do they not? They still come to us with the same level of intensity and, and, and challenge that Jesus first intended. In fact, I would venture to say that they're even more difficult for, for we moderns today. For those of us in the Western branch of Christianity, for those of us in American Christianity, we have grown up with plenty, at least plenty more than most people in the world today. Our world with Christ is intertwined with mammon and its products, with beautiful churches, with individual resources, with padded pews. And we come to the point of realization that we, we can't serve both masters very well, or even at all. I mean, let's be honest. We struggle here all throughout our lives. Just when we think we've mastered one, we realize that we have so much more to go. Our desires lead us to worship mammon and they lead us into all kinds of suffering and trouble. Chances are, if you have a bit of, uh, of displeasure or suffering or something that's going on in your life, if you look and try to connect it with the desires of your life, you might find some similarities there. We don't have to choose this path, though. Jesus informs us to examine our mammon and to see which choice we have made to stop trying to serve to and from now on seek God's kingdom first and to put it first in our lives. Well, what Jesus also invites us to do is to ruminate a robin. Well, he doesn't actually say a robin and I don't think he says ruminate either. But he must have pointed to some bird overhead or perched in a tree somewhere. His words here indicate that he was wanting the crowd to observe something as simple as a common bird. Luke's description of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uses the word raven. And a, a raven is not a beautiful creature. It's just a common bird. And so Jesus uses this language about a, a common creature, helping them to know that they could look and learn everything they needed to know about existence and life by just looking at one of these birds. What about you? Have you ruminated any robins lately? If you're like me and probably the rest of the world, you're all caught up with the worries and anxieties of daily living, then you would do well to pay close attention to this invitation to rumination from Jesus. George Washington Carver, he obviously understood this in his very popular quote. He says, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. Well, this practice of tuning in, it doesn't cost anything, it doesn't require travel, and it is not complicated at all. It can be done from your easy chair or from your hammock, 
It can even be accompanied by a big glass of iced tea or your favorite cup of joe. I was getting up uh, the other morning, and I, our coffee maker is right by the kitchen window, and I was getting a cup of coffee. It wouldn't come out of the thing fast enough. And I looked, and, and just something caught my eye out the window, and there was a red cardinal right there uh, sitting on the, uh, the little potted plant that was out there uh, just looking for a worm to eat. And I, I looked at that and thought about how God provides, waiting for Him to finish providing that cup of coffee. All it requires is your full attention, eyes wide open, as you engage in this bird watching. As you sit and consider the way of the bird, take note of what God has to say to you and about the worries of your life. What can you learn from the red of the cardinal, the elegant royal breast of the robin, the melody of the mockingbird, the careless creatureliness of the chickadee, the fearless freedom of the finch, or the willful ways of the wily woodpecker. I've got two woodpeckers at our house. I'd be happy to let you borrow for a while. <laughs> As you ponder the perplexities of the winged creature before you, it won't take long for your breathing to slow down, your blood pressure to decrease, while your awareness of God's providence continues to increase. Well, Jesus didn't stop with birds. But he moved on to flowers. As I read these words, what I hear Jesus saying is, be the blue bonnet. Right? I mean, don't you hear Jesus saying that? After living in South Texas, I can't help but think of any better wildflower that is more elegantly decorated than a Texas blue bonnet. Right? Have you ever seen one of these? In South Texas, they were all over. There's a picture of a very pretty girl we took a picture of one day who was right in the median. Uh, out there on, on the highway, pretty close to our house. And uh, just looking at those flowers, it's, they're just so beautiful. They just pop up one day, and about two years later, they will come back again. Just incredible. Seeing a field of these is just breathtaking. Just as Jesus pointed to the bird for contemplative practice, so he directs their eyes out to the fields to say, look at the lilies. You guys are so worried about your lives and what's going to happen tomorrow. Look out there in the valley and see the lilies. And he directs their eyes for observation and consideration. To consider their existence. How they just are. They neither toil nor spin, but just exist in and for the glory of God. They have inherent beauty in and of themselves. Jesus made the point that if, if that is how God cares for the, the flowers and the grass of the field which are here one day and they are extinguished the next, how much more will God care for them as beings made in the very image of God? Well, so here then is another exercise given to us by Jesus for our worries. It is one that is still good today, especially this time of year. Even now, while winter continues to remind us that it is still here uh, the tulip trees and the daffodils become props for our spiritual exercises of contemplation. They present themselves to us as lessons in how to just be. How do you be these days? We should start saying that to one another. How do you be? How would you define your existence in, in light of this past week? Just think about a description of last week. How would you, what words would you use to characterize it? Would it be? that you just were, that you just existed 
and rested in your understanding of God and His love for your life? Maybe you're toiling and spinning, doing so with such fervency that you're unable to see that you already are. What you're striving to become is getting in the way of realizing and being aware of who you already are. Rather than toiling and spinning, you and I are to just be as creations of God, resting in the care and provision of God our Creator. It is the freeing recognition that God just wants you to exist by, in, and for Him and His purposes for you. All of this relates to God's kingdom work. He has planted you to seed in the garden of His kingdom, intending for you to grow up into full color and to shine with radiant beauty. This happens to you as you set out daily to be salt and light, as Jesus mentioned already. Loving God and loving neighbor in the world around you. As you seek God's kingdom and fully live in it, you eternally enhance the landscape of the world around you that is full of weeds and it's full of of barren and dry and dusty soil. As I look out this morning, I see some wildflowers. And I truly mean that. God has planted you as wildflowers and intended for you to be here, to stand out in this neighborhood. I mean, this, this right here is our prairie to decorate. This is the valley that God has called you and me to come and, and to exist in as a body of Christ. God does the decoration as we seek His daily kingdom. And we need not worry. Let me say that again. And we need not worry about anything else. Be the blue bonnet. Being the blue bonnet, combined with ruminating the robin and examining the mammon, are, are not going to guarantee that you won't have any worries at all. What Jesus is teaching is how you deal with your worries and the choices that you make. To find freedom from the worries that dog the human soul and prevent it from the beautiful existence that God intended. Jesus points us toward freedom from such worry. Author and poet Wendell Berry reminds us of all of this in his poem, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. May you experience such rest and freedom in this next week. Let's go to God in prayer.